My name is Rebecca Walker, and my husband and I lead the Reengage Marriage Ministry. And you're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We're working our way through the entire Bible during 2023 in a sermon series called The Story. For more information about our church or to find resources related to the story, visit kingscross.org. I'm one of the pastors here as well, and I'm really excited to be able to uh, speak this morning. We're very excited because this is the last of the everybody's in one service, and so there's no other service to go to, so that means this is my last chance to give a really long sermon because <laughs> I don't have a group of people coming in, so I'm, I'm really excited about this. I'm just going to go ahead and take what it would, the amount of time to do two sermons, I'm going to throw it into one. Kid, we won't be that long, but I'm really excited about uh, looking at Genesis chapter 37. So you can go ahead and open up your Bibles, please, to that. Uh, today we're going to actually going to complete the book of Genesis. So this is the longest that we're going to be uh, for the rest of the story this year in one particular book. But we're going to be at the end of the book of Genesis, starting in Genesis 37. Next week we start chapter three in our walk through the Bible, the story. In fact, many of y'all have seen it in the lobby, but we do have devotionals out there and chapter dividers to get ready for the next chapter. And so if you have been following along in your devotional time with the Lord each day, grab one so you can keep going. And if you haven't, this is a great place, a great time to start. So it's just, you can pick up one of those sheets and you can follow along every day in the reading to get ready for the sermon each week, or you can go online to the story 2023.com and you can access it every day there. So far, so far, this is where we've been uh, since January, the beginning of January. We looked at that God created the cosmos, including mankind. He placed Adam and Eve in the midst of perfection in the Garden of Eden, but they rebelled against God and then they're kicked out of paradise. 1,600 years later, mankind becomes very corrupt in Genesis 6, and God starts all over with Noah and his family. And then 400 years later, God tells Abraham that through his offspring, the world will be blessed, and he's looking forward to the coming Messiah. Abraham ends up leading to Isaac, who leads to Jacob, who leads to 12 sons who would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And so this morning, we're going to look at son number 11. We're going to look at Joseph. And that brings us to Genesis 37. So we're actually going to read most of the chapter. We're going to have it on the screens. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open it and you kind of keep it at Genesis 37. And um, so let's get started. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any, other, any of his other sons, because he was the son of his old age. He made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? 
or you indeed to rule over us. So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And they're going to jump to verse 12. Joseph ends up having another dream, and he didn't learn from the first time of sharing that with his brothers. I'm sure he shared that with them as well. So now his brothers, who were very uh, angry and hating Joseph and jealous, they went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel, who was Jacob, said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to them, Here I am. And then jumping to verse 18, they saw him from afar, and behold, he came to them, came near to them, and they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore them, him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty, and there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh, on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is if we kill our brother? What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then the Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But when he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down. But he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him to Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Now that's chapter 37, and then we're actually going to look at chapters 38 through 50, but we're not going to read. I'm just going to summarize just real quick because it's important to know where we're going so that we can get to chapter 50 because that's where we're going to camp out. So in chapter 39, Joseph is put in charge of Potiphar's house. This is who he was sold into slavery. He became very successful, but he's falsely accused, and he's thrown into prison. And over and over in chapter 39, we read that God was with Joseph, and Joseph was very successful. And then in chapters 40 through 41, Joseph is interpreting dreams in prison. And after two years, so he spent two years in prison, after two years, he's invited to interpret 
Pharaoh's dreams. And over and over we see in chapters 40 through 41 that God keeps speaking through Joseph and Joseph keeps giving credit to God. Then after telling, telling Pharaoh that his dreams meant that God will send seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine, Joseph comes up with a plan to have enough food for those seven years of famine. And Pharaoh likes Joseph's plan and makes him, at 30 years old, the second highest official in Egypt. And then in chapter 45, I'm sorry, chapters 42 through 44, it's toward the beginning of these seven years of famine. Joseph, at this point, is in his late 30s, and his brothers who have been in Canaan, they make trips to Egypt to buy grain because the famine has impacted them as well. And when they see Joseph, they don't recognize him because it was 17 years since the last time that he saw him. He's clean-shaven. They're probably not, so they're just not used, probably talks different, different language. So then in chapter 45, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, and of course, they freak out. <laughs> so now the second, guy, second highest official in Egypt was the guy that they sold into slavery and the guy that they're now dependent on for, to sustain them for life. So then in chapters 46 through 47, Jacob and his entire family moves to Egypt, and Joseph ends up providing for them. And then in chapter 49, Jacob blesses his 12 sons, and then he dies. And then chapter 50, his brothers are worried, of course, that Joseph, now that their dad is gone, will turn on them and take revenge. And rightfully so. Joseph was almost murdered by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He was slandered, and then he was thrown in jail for two years. If there was ever a place for revenge, this probably would be the place. This probably would be the time. But in chapter 50, verse 19, Joseph says to his brothers, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God. And then Joseph has this densely theological, highly motivating, and life-changing, if you and I will choose to believe it, statement that he makes in Genesis 50, verse 20. And this is it. And he says this to his brothers. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So our biblical truth for this morning is God is able to use evil to bring about good. God is able to use evil to bring about good. Looking back 22 years earlier, Joseph told his brothers that they had meant evil against him. That evil ultimately was a close call with death and then slavery for himself. But in looking at the whole chapter, we can see, chapter 37, we can see three evils that they were aiming to do to Joseph that led him to being sold into slavery. And so to get to slavery, these brothers, out of the not very kind intention of the heart, actually out of hatred and jealousy that they attempted to do to Joseph. And that's what I want to look at today in the evil that was brought to him. So the first thing is Joseph's brothers intended to steal Joseph's identity. Intended to steal his identity. And we see this in verses 3 through 4. 
Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of, other, of his sons, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So I don't know if it's the case for your family, but it is for mine. And I think every family, every family member is known for something. So it's kind of like this sets them apart from the other family members. And as young children, it kind of develops over time. Right now, I have three teenage daughters. And in my family, Ellie is known for being the richest. So she's my 17-year-old. She's the richest because she has a job but does not have any bills. And so she's the richest in our family. Uh, Anna Claire, who's sitting in the back, she's my middle. Uh, she is known for the best grades. So she has the best grades in our family because she will actually study, true story, five hours for a quiz that's only 1% of her grade. So she has the best grades. Uh, Jordy, who's also in the back, she's the most tired. If you see Jordy, she'll be breathing pretty heavy because she's either swimming laps, running up and down a basketball court, or jumping hurdles. So that's Jordy. Everybody's known for something. In this family, in Jacob's family, in each of his sons, Joseph was known for something as well. He was known for most loved by dad. He was his favorite. And his brothers hated him for it. And so parents, we don't recommend picking favorites, but nonetheless, Joseph, for Joseph, this was significant. He never had to ask the questions, am I accepted by my dad? Am I significant to my dad? Am I valued by my dad? And am I important to my dad? Joseph never had to try to measure up somewhere else because he was unconditionally loved by his father, and he had a really good-looking coat to prove it. But his brothers were jealous and hated him because of it. And so what they did was they stripped his robe, which symbolized his identity as the most loved, and they threw him into a pit and sold him into slavery to let him know, to let Joseph know that he was according to them, not accepted, not significant, not valued, and not important. This was the evil that his brothers intended to do to Joseph, and they did it, to steal his identity. The second thing that they intended to do was to sever his relationships, was to sever his relationships. Joseph was obeying his dad. He was just doing what he was told to do. Now, the first time he did it, in the beginning of chapter 37, he came back with a bad report. And so maybe his brothers, when they saw him, didn't want him to come up because they figured he'd take another bad report back to his dad. But he was obeying his dad. He was going to check on his brothers. And then in Genesis 37, 18, the brothers said that when they, well, about the brothers, they saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. So I'm not really sure about uh, Jake, Joseph and where he actually lived and what the environment was like. We might can make some speculation, but I don't know 100% for sure if Joseph lived in a subdivision or how close his neighbors were. I'm not sure if he went to school or played any kind of travel ball. Uh, the tabernacle wasn't built yet. That's coming in the next chapter. So I don't know if there was gathered worship. As far as we can tell, Joseph's friends and Joseph's community and his relationships were his family. But of that family, eight of his brothers conspired to kill him. Reuben tried to rescue him and take him back to his father, but Judah persuaded them to sell Joseph into slavery. So whether by death or slavery, their goal was to sever Joseph's relationship with them and their father. 
So that was the second evil that they conspired, that they intended to do against Joseph. The third was to put an end to his calling, to put an end to his purpose, to his mission, to his calling. In verses 19 and 20 of chapter 37, they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Remember the dream where Joseph says, I'm going to be over you and you're going to be bowing down to me. Now, maybe Joseph didn't realize what that was about. Jacob's brothers didn't want to think about what that was about. But apparently that was a calling that God was giving to Joseph and they don't want it to have nothing to do with it. So these two dreams that he had of his brothers bowing down to him, I imagine this was not a great conversation started to bring up at family dinner. Uh, but nevertheless, he did, and he ended up being right, and it would be 22 years later. But in chapters 42, chapters 43, and chapter 44, in each of those chapters, we see his brothers bowing down to Joseph. But at this point, they hated him for these dreams as well. So not just being most loved by dad, but also for these dreams. And they figured that the best way to put an end to him talking about his dreams and maybe even the possibility that it could be from God, which is dangerous territory when you're trying to get in the way of God and his will, but even the possibility that it could be from God, the best thing they could do was to kill him or to sell him, to put an end to his calling. So those are the three things that Joseph's brothers are trying to do evil, intending to do evil to him that ultimately resulted in him being sold in slavery. So Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And that's exactly what Joseph's brothers tried to do to him. They attempted to do evil to Joseph by stealing his identity, literally stealing his coat that, that symbolizes his identity as most loved by his dad. They attempted to kill his relationships, death by a majority vote. And they attempted to destroy his calling selling him into straight slavery. So just like the thief, steal, kill, and destroy. So for you and I, how do we apply at least this part of the message of the story to our lives today? So if I'm going to be successful in following Christ, there are three forces that I have to play defense. And really the best defense is, the, is offense. So that I got to play offense against. And that is the world which is around me, the flesh which is inside of me, and the devil which is against me. The same spiritual warfare that happened in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve and the garden of the serpent, is happening today. There we see the world, there we see the flesh, and there we see the devil, and it's happening still today. Making me, making you question your identity as unconditionally loved by God. Satan did this with Jesus right out of the gate, right out of the gate. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized, the Father speaks from heaven, and he says, this is my son, whom I love and am well pleased. So that right there, the proper identity is communicated to Jesus. And then Jesus leaves chapter 3. Heard someone say that his hair was still wet from the baptism when he entered the desert, where Satan tempts him. And two of Satan's temptations start off with, if you are the son of God. Satan is trying to get Je Jesus to question his identity. And just like Joseph's brothers, and just like Satan with Jesus, if he's going to do it with them, if he's going to do it with him, he's doing it with us as well. 
The same spiritual warfare that happened then and happened in Genesis 3 is happening with us too and cutting off the relationships, severing the relationships that should otherwise be encouraging to you in your identity and in your calling. We may think we're too busy or we may need time to rest and maybe legitimately so, but God has made us for one another. We're made in his image and he's a relationship God and he's made us for one another. And we can't thrive or even survive without relationships to encourage us in the gospel. And also the same spiritual warfare using the world, the flesh, and the devil is coming at against us, so we got to be on the offense because it's putting, it's trying, it's tempting to put an end to your calling by making you fear or doubt or become too busy. There are a lot of good things to do because the world have a lot of needs, has a lot of needs, but God has ultimately called us to do to a gospel-sharing, discipling others mission And he has given us, just like he gave Joseph, a unique role in his kingdom advancement. He's given us a unique role in our calling on this mission of sharing the good news and discipling others um, throughout the world. So the three things that Joseph's brothers were intending to steal, kill, and destroy, Same thing that's happening with us today. And these are actually the same things that are on our wall in the lobby. If you walk out in our lobby, you'll see that we are a gospel community on mission for Charleston and the world. So think about this. We're committed to grow in the gospel, which starts with seeing my identity as unconditionally loved by God through the cross. That's why we emphasize that, because the world, the flesh, and the devil is attacking us in this area. And so we got to say, if we're going to play offense against the world, the flesh, and the devil, we got to be grounded in our identity in Christ that's unconditionally loved by God. Also, we're calling ourselves to connect in community because we were made for relationships. The relationships they attempted to sever. Those are falling apart or can fall apart with the busyness of life. And so we got to be reminded that we have to connect in relationships so we can be reminded of our calling and identity. And then also to live on mission. So you think about this calling that they were trying to destroy of Joseph. We are calling ourselves to live on mission because our ultimate calling is to recruit others to bow down, not to us, but to Jesus Christ. So that's the evil that was intended to happen, or they were intended to do toward Joseph, to steal his identity, to sever his relationships, and putting an end to his calling. And those are the very things that we got to be on the offense as well, as individuals and as a church. But the good news for Joseph was also, and this is what's so crazy about the story, was also the good news for his brothers. And it's the good news for us today. What Joseph's brothers meant for evil, God meant for good. So Joseph has said in Genesis 50, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And listen to this, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. You meant evil, God meant it good, so that we could have life. And think about John 10.10 and that statement that Jesus made. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. So that was chapter 37. Now in chapters 39 through 50, we see the other side of the coin. We see the good news. The bad news was the evil that was meant for Joseph. Here's the good news that God intended. 
God intended for Joseph three different things. The first is that he walk with God. And we see this in Genesis 39 through 41, those three chapters. I don't know, so just looking at the text, we can speculate, but just looking at the text, I don't know when Joseph's walk with God actually started. So I've been doing membership interviews uh, last week, getting ready to vote people into our covenant uh, membership, which Chip mentioned in the meeting that's coming up next week. And I love membership interviews. It's one of my most favorite things to do because I get to hear about when people's walk with God actually start. There's a spiritual journey that we're on, but there's a point in time where you didn't know Jesus, you put your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, receiving the forgiveness of your sins, and then your walk with God actually starts. And so Joseph is raised in a God-fearing family, but I don't know when his personal walk with God began. But I do know this, is that there's really no mention of Joseph and his personal relationship with God in Genesis chapter 37, but boy, do we see it in Genesis chapter 39. And so this is where the first mention of him having a relationship with God is, after he sold into slavery. God used evil against Joseph to bring about personal good not just for his family, not just for the nations, but for Joseph as well. So God does the same kind of thing today. Hard times can either push us away from God or they can actually drive us to him. You might argue that Joseph could have easily thought God had left him, and maybe so, and it's kind of a little odd that in Genesis chapter 38, there's actually a chapter that's even not about Joseph, and then we jump into 39, and all of a sudden it's about Joseph again. I don't know why God put Genesis 38 there between 37 and 39, but maybe it was for us to think, well, maybe God left Joseph. <laughs> you know, maybe it's for us to think that. But the truth is, as soon as you jump into 39, after he sold into slavery, that's when his walk with God takes off took off in the midst of struggle, and it took off in the midst of adversity. So that was God's good intention for Joseph, that his walk with God would begin. The second intention that God had for Joseph was that he would restore relationships. So in a perfect world, the 12 brothers would have had perfect relationships with one another, but they didn't. However, a horrible evil would result in a great outcome. The evil of casting a brother out would eventually bring them back together, alive, where God would be glorified through forgiveness and humility and reconciliation, which is exactly what we see specifically in Genesis 45 all the way to Genesis 50. So even for us, even in the worst relationships, there is hope. The worse off the relationship is, in fact. You may say, man, this marriage is bad, or this friendship's awful, or my relationship with my kid is terrible, or I can't stand the people I work with. Actually, the worse off the relationship is, as believers who trust in that as the world means for evil, God means for good, we actually, there should be so much hope and excitement because the greater glory God will receive when that relationship is restored. And that's exactly what happens in these relationships. God is glorified and the relationships become stronger and they actually even exist versus being totally annihilated because now Joseph is able to save his family. And so relationships are in store, restored and that's God's good intention. And then the third one is save lives, save lives. And so we have 
walk with God, restore relationships, and save lives, which, by the way, here it is again. I don't make this stuff up, but this is what's on our wall, even with three, these three points. Grow in the gospel, where you walk with God, connect in community, relationships are restored, and lives being saved. That's his mission. We're on mission for the world. So saving lives, particularly the family through which Jesus will come, who he will save people from every nation, is really why the story of Joseph takes up so much real estate in Genesis. Never really thought about this before, before I really started looking at this year and how Genesis was divided up. But there's 12 chapters out of 50 chapters that is about the story of Joseph. Almost 25% of the entire book. Because it's pointing us to Jesus who will save every nation. So let's do some ifs. So some what ifs. If Jacob had not sent Joseph to check on his brothers, and so if Israel didn't, Jacob did not come up with this idea, hey, go check on your brothers, and just kept Joseph at home, Joseph would have not gone to Egypt, the nation of Israel would have died off from the famine, and the Messiah, Jesus, would not have come through the line of Judah. That's the fourth brother of which the line of Jesus would come. So if Reuben had saved Joseph and reunited him with his dad. And so remember that, like, really? Man, Joseph actually has a brother that loves him. And so Reuben's trying to take care of him. It's like, let's don't kill him. Let's, I'm going to try to restore him with his dad. If that had happened, then Joseph would not have gone to Egypt. The nation of Israel would have died off from the famine, and the Messiah would not have come through Judah. What they meant for evil, God was actually directing all of this for good. If Judah had not convinced the brothers to sell Joseph into slavery, Joseph would not have gone to Egypt, the nation of Israel would have died off from the famine, and the Messiah would not have come through the line of Judah. Which is really interesting that this is Judah, from whom the line of Christ would come. He was the one who pushed to sell Joseph as a slave to Egypt. He didn't even know what he was doing. He had no idea what he was doing. And he was the one that came up with the idea, let's sell him to Egypt. And it would be through his line that the Messiah would come. God could have worked this plan out any way he chose. He didn't have to do it this way. He could have done it another way. But this is the way he chose. This is the way he chose to use evil to do good. And in doing so, Joseph would save the nation of Israel, specifically the tribe of Judah, so that the Messiah would come and save all who would trust in him. It's really mind-blowing to think this. The book of Genesis starts off with one man, Adam, bringing death, and it ends with another man, Joseph, bringing life. And the life of Joseph points us to Jesus through his death, Adam's, the wages of sin is death that Adam earned on our behalf, that through Jesus' death, he would actually bring life. The story of Joseph is a way more than, any, more than just a story. It's way more than just a story of betrayal or deliverance and, or preserving the line of Christ. Genesis 37 through 50 in the Bible points us to Jesus. God put it there so that we would be really clear what the Messiah would look like when he shows up. So if you, if, 
any of y'all have drifted off, and I have that happen a lot when I speak. So if any of y'all, especially when I speak at the Citadel, that one of the, one of the uh, most humbling experiences you can have as someone that delivers uh, the Word of God is to go to the Citadel and speak to those cadets because all of them are falling asleep because they're so tired. So I'm used to it. If you, if you dozed off, that's okay. But if you're asleep or somebody you're sitting beside is asleep, wake them up because you got to pay attention to this. This is really awesome. God did what I'm about to share with you. He did this through Noah's Ark and getting, giving us a glimpse of the salvation that will, that will come. Jesus is the boat. We can, we can be saved through Jesus if we get on the boat, get on his ship. So he did this to Noah. He did this with Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah. There's going to be a sacrifice, your only son. There's going to be a substitution. And he's doing it here. God is unveiling his plan of salvation that is to come. So listen to this. Listen to some of the ways in which the life of Joseph looks toward Jesus. Joseph was a shepherd. Jesus will be our good shepherd. Joseph was beloved of his father. Jesus is beloved of God the Father. Joseph lived with his father in honor before going down to Egypt. Jesus lived with his heavenly father before coming to earth. Joseph was hated by his brothers because Jacob's special love for him and his words. Jesus was hated by his brothers because he claimed that God was his father and, of course, his words. Joseph was sent by his fathers to his brothers for their welfare and ultimately to save the world. Jesus was sent by his father for the lost sheep of Israel and ultimately to save the world. Joseph's brothers plotted to kill Joseph. The Jews plotted to kill Jesus. Joseph's brothers did not believe his dreams, and Jesus' brothers did not believe his words. Joseph was stripped of his coat. Jesus was stripped of his clothes as well before going to the cross. Joseph's brothers, while eating, it's a minute detail, but don't miss this, while they were eating, they intended to kill Joseph. The Jews, while eating the Passover feast, desired that Jesus be killed. Joseph was sold into Egypt at the proposal of Judah. Jesus was betrayed and handed over to the Jews by Judas. Joseph was taken out of the pit, alive in his body. Jesus was resurrected from the tomb. Joseph was sold for the price of a slave. Jesus was sold for the price of a slave. Joseph's blood uh, was sprinkled on a coat. It was goat blood. Not Joseph's blood, but goat's, his, a goat's blood was sprinkled on Jesus, Joseph's coat. And then it was presented to his father. Jesus, who the Bible says is our scapegoat, he had his blood presented to the father as a sin offering for us. Joseph became a servant. Jesus, Philippians 2 says, became a servant. Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife, and he did not sin. Jesus was tempted by the devil, and he did not sin. Joseph was falsely accused, and Jesus was falsely accused. Joseph attempted no defense when he was arrested, and Jesus gave no defense at his trials. 
this is crazy here. Joseph was jailed. If y'all know the story, we couldn't cover it this morning, but many of y'all know the story. Joseph was jailed with two prisoners of who he interpreted dreams for. One received life from his dream, and the other received judgment. Jesus was crucified with two criminals. One received life, and the other received judgment. Joseph is exalted as the second man in charge to which every knee would bow. Pharaoh says every knee will bow to Joseph. Jesus is exalted by God, the second person of the Trinity, and every knee will bow. Joseph was 30 years old when he began his work under Pharaoh. Jesus was 30 when he began his public ministry. Joseph gave bread to the perishing world. Jesus not only gave bread to the thousands, 5,000 and 4,000, but he is the bread of life. Joseph was revealed to his brothers at their second coming. Jesus will be revealed to us at his second coming. Joseph forgave and saved his brothers. Jesus forgives and saves sinners. And then Joseph comforted those who portrayed him. We see this in Genesis uh, 50, 21. And Jesus comforted those disciples who abandoned him at the cross. And that, my friend, is just 24 <laughs> ways in which Joseph points to Jesus as a type of Christ. There's actually, I pulled that from a list of 60. So God has made it really clear, not only here, but where we've been so far in the Old Testament and where we're headed throughout the rest of the Bible, is that he doesn't want us to miss Jesus. This reveals who God is, and this reveals his plan of salvation for us in the world. So as we end, I'd want to end with this as just some encouragement for us. And God is able to take that what is intended for you for evil, and he's able to use it for good, for your good and the good of those around you and ultimately his glory. Paul writes this in Romans 8.28. Many of you are familiar with this. You may have it memorized. If you don't, I encourage you to memorize this verse. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those who love God, everything, all things. What does that include? Yes, that includes that. What about the yes? All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So to consider that the bad stuff that happens in my life will not be wasted, but that God will work it out for my good is mind-blowing. So there may be things in your life that you would just rather move on from. There may be things in your life that you would never want to revisit. You don't want to see it again. You don't want to think about it. You want to face again. You would just rather move on. And you can move on. God is constantly always calling us to move on, to press forward in Christ, to put the past behind us and move forward as we look, keep our eye on the prize who is Jesus. But if you are a child of God, you can know that he will work all things, including whatever that is that you would rather move on. He can use that even for your good. And if you can believe this, if you can believe that, that God is able to use, and he will, all things in your life for the good, you will and I will have more joy and more peace and more purpose throughout your life, especially in the tough seasons. 
This is because you will see, and this is because I will see, that a good God is in control. He has a good plan for your life, and everything that happens will work out for your good. I mean, that's almost like just unbelievable, but it's true. He is a God who redeems, and he is a God who reworks. So sometimes it's like Genesis 50, 20, where God directs evil to carry out his will. I mean, God doesn't create evil, but he's over evil, and he has power over evil, and he can direct it to do anything he wants it to do. So God, without creating evil, directed evil to sell Joseph into slavery. God got him to interpret dreams given by him so that he would save his own family, which would eventually lead to Jesus. God directed evil to do this. So Joseph, and we'll see this in a couple of weeks with Pharaoh, and eventually we'll see it with the cross, all show God's power to direct evil to accomplish his will. And just to kind of re- just to really pound this home, Acts 4, 27 through 28 says this, and it's talking about the cross. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, these are the disciples praying, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. So you have Herod, you have Pilate, you have the Gentiles, you have the people of Israel. So whether it's Joseph's brothers or these four groups of people, the rest of the verse says, to do, God, you gathered these people together to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. God's doing this all throughout the history of mankind where he's taking evil, this a horrible thing that came through the Garden of Eden. He's saying, I'm going to even use that to accomplish my will. And he does this, does this with Joseph. He's going to do this in Exodus. He's going to do it throughout the Bible. And he's going to do this to get Jesus to the cross so that the worst evil that you can imagine will result in the greatest good that you can comprehend. So other, sometimes it's God directing the evil. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. But other times, and this is really every other time, is always Romans 8.28. And this is where God takes the evil that is already happening, and he redeems it, and he reworks it for the good of his children, which verse 29 says the good is actually that we will become more and more like Jesus Christ. So at the very least, which is really the very most, is God's using everything in your past, good or bad, to make you more like his son so that you can know him and so that you can enjoy him and that you can share him with the world. So whatever you're dealing with right now, whether it's a bad decision, it's a bad job, it's a bad relationship, it's a bad marriage, or maybe it's just a bad first 50 years of your life, God can redeem it and he can rework it and use the evil to accomplish much good for you and much glory for him. Let me pray. Father, I can't think of a more encouraging uh, concept to take with me for the rest of the day and for the rest of my life to get me through whatever may come my way, whether it's directed by you to cause me to know you even better and to cause you to live, cause me to live on mission for you, or maybe it's just in the midst of this fallen world and you are reworking and redeeming the stuff around me so that I can know. I can't think of anything more encouraging. And so, Lord, I just pray that this truth would penetrate our hearts. And I pray, Lord, for those that don't know you this morning, that they would say, 
whether their life seems good or not, that people here this morning would say, that's the kind of life I want where I can serve a God that loves me, has a great plan for my life. So let me come to Jesus Christ so that I can be most loved by him. And so regardless of what happens in my life, I know that it's ultimately for my good because it's from a father that loves me. I pray that everyone here would walk out of here with the assurance of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and also the assurance that you're working all things for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. My name's Chip. I'm the lead pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope that you're growing in the gospel as we work our way through the story. Take a moment to subscribe and you'll get each week's episode automatically. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.